Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, online, uh, we have a video live stream going on our website, faithonhill.com. And that video is also on our Facebook page, uh, Faith on Hill's Facebook page, and it's always there as well. For audio versions, we have the audio version of this message on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill, and that's where you'll find all of our podcast content, uh, including Sunday mornings, the 20-minute Bible study, the Talk About Anything podcast. Uh, There's a new episode of that um, that was released this last week. And then uh, our Starting Points podcast, it's all on the same podcast feed. Now, we do church both online and in person, and we really mean that. So throughout the week, we meet in small groups, uh, and we have an online small group, and it meets on Wednesday nights. It's on Zoom, and you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We also have small groups that meet in person throughout the week, and you can find out more information by that emailing that address as well. Now, we know that some people who watch our online content, especially Sunday mornings, uh, there's kind of three reasons why somebody does. First is that there are people who uh, are regularly in-person people who can't be in person. They're, uh, they're sick, they're on vacation, something's up. And so there are people who, uh, you know, they're working and so they, they either watch in real time or they catch up later. And then there's people who are um, checking the church out. And if that's you, we want to say, welcome, we're glad you're here. And we know that every person who has become a new part of Faith on Hill in the last year, six months especially, they, all of them say they were watching online for a while first. And so we recognize that. We're glad you're here. If you have any questions, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. Love to answer some questions. And then there's uh, the third group, which is people who are kind of permanently online only for whatever reason, and that's totally fine. The invitation is to be part of our church, even if you're online only. And so that's why we have the small group that's online. That's we have Sunday mornings online. But for those who are uh, online with us this morning, but who regularly are in person, this is just an announcement reminder that we have a new uh, sign up for, uh, you know, it's the new year. So we're starting a new season of our kids church volunteers. And so if you could, when you're back in person with us, sign up at the information table. We're going to continue looking at the book of Job. We're not doing Job like we normally do a book of the Bible. Normally, we're like verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But we're doing Job as sort of a big picture overview look. And so today's message is going to be about chapters one through three. And it's going to kind of assume that you've read it. If you haven't, that's okay. I will do an overview kind of recap. But next Sunday, we're going to look at chapters four through 14. So that's 10 chapters. And you got from now until then, you got seven days to read 10 chapters of the Bible. It's very doable. And uh, to read 10 chapters of the Bible and to, uh, and, and to kind of be ready to have a familiarity. So that's what we're doing next week is chapters 4 through 14. Today we're going to look at chapters 1 through 3 as we continue to look at the book of Job. And today we're going to talk about why people suffer. Uh, do I have bad karma? Is God punishing me? That's what we're talking about today. So, in Job chapter 1, we're told that there's this guy named Job, and he lived a long time ago, but he had a good life. He had success in his career, in his business dealings. He was a good father. He was a provider. And, And more than that, most importantly, was that Job followed God. 
Job believed in God, Yahweh, the true God, the one true God and creator. Job kept his commands. Job honored him in his heart and in his life. Job taught his children the ways of God. Job, Job was a good dude. And then the Satan. Everybody thinks, you know, Satan, that's his name, right? But, but the Bible actually, if you were to like read the ancient Hebrew, it would say the Satan, the accuser. And then over time, and in other parts of the Bible, Satan just became kind of his name in addition to who he was, the accuser. And, and he comes and talks to God. And this idea of Satan talking to God and whether that's real or mythological, you can go back to last week's uh, sermon and hear me talk about that and, and my take on it. Generally speaking, I believe the book of Job is, is literal, but I'm not like rabidly, you know, dogmatic about it. If, if you want to believe that it's mytho history, meaning there really was a Job, uh, but, but some of this stuff is, is mythological to kind of tell the story, or if you want to believe it's all allegorical, I'm not really interested in fighting about it because I believe it's authoritative no matter what. That being said, I do believe this is literal. I do believe that Satan had this conversation with God. And God says to Satan, have you considered Job? Now, why is it that God wants Satan to consider Job? Let's put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that later in a few weeks as we're studying the book of Job. I think that's, that's very significant. But for right now, we're going to put a pin in that, come back to it and say, okay, God's talking to Satan, Satan's talking to God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and he is doing great. And Satan says something that would actually be really reasonable, I think, to most people. He says, Job only follows you because he's got it good. Job only follows you because he's rich. Job only follows you because he has a good family. Job only follows you because he has no pain, no trials, no suffering. And if you took that away from him, he would renounce you. He would curse your name. Now that's a lie. Not about Job per se, we don't know yet, but about people. Because this idea that Job only follows God because he has it good is a lie. In our own day, and I guarantee it's been this way all throughout human history, there are people who have stayed true, stayed faithful to their following of God, to their love of God, to their obedience to God, to their worship of God, despite their circumstances. No matter what, they have stayed faithful to God. They may have nothing. They may have chronic, debilitating illness or pain. They may have trial and trauma, and yet they stay faithful to God. They keep God's ways as best they can. They worship God. They honor God in their heart and with their life and with their actions. I know people who have nothing. They do not have Job's wealth. I know people who have pain and chronic suffering. I know people who are going through the worst storms, and yet they still will tell you that not only will they stay faithful to God, but more importantly, God has always stayed faithful to them. So Satan's a liar. That should be just established first and foremost. That he is a liar. So his whole premise, the only reason Job's following you is a lie, but that's the, the argument he makes. And so God says, all right, fine. You can do whatever you want to Job. You can't kill him, but you can do whatever you want to him. And so Satan brings trial and trouble. And, and Job, in, in just the same day, finds out 
His kids are killed tragically, senselessly in a natural disaster. And his livestock, which is basically his wealth and his source of future income, are stolen by raiders. And all of these things happen. And then he gets sick. And just all of these things happen to him at once. And the test begins. And then in chapter 2, he has these three friends. And these three friends hear about everything that's gone on in Job's life. They hear about everything that's gone on in Job's life. And they, they go to him. They want to be there with him. They want to be there with their friend. We'll find out next week in Job chapter 4 that Job has actually been a great source of encouragement and help to people who have been in need, who have been in trial, who have been in the middle of a storm. That Job has been a source of strength and encouragement for those who have needed to borrow some courage from somebody else. And now it's his time of trial, his season of pain. And his friends say, we want to be there with him. We, we care about him. And so they go and they are there with him. And then in chapter three, Job begins to just pour out everything that's going on in his heart and his mind. He just is, is raw and honest with them. This is everything I'm dealing with. And that's basically the first three chapters of Job. Here is a guy who did seemingly nothing wrong. He is just going about his life, doing the best he can, and then wave after wave after wave of trial, pain, storm, misery comes upon his life. And you know what? Depending on who you are and what your background is and what your uh, belief system is, there's, you, you would ask certain questions that would maybe use different words, but it would mean the same thing. What's going on? What have I done? Do I have some bad karma out there? Uh, is, is the universe you know, correcting some imbalance? Did I do something that I didn't even know about or something I've forgotten about you know, when I was young or whatever and now I'm being punished for it? Or maybe some people say, is God punishing me, right? Because some people's view of God is that he is angry all the time and he's angry and maybe he loves people, sure, generally, and he loves other people, but maybe he's just me, you know, he's after. Is God punishing me? What did I do to deserve this? What, what have I done? What's going on? And I want to have this morning an open and honest, as much as possible, a conversation about suffering. I want to start out by saying that we suffer and we will suffer and we do suffer. That's going to happen. There is no one, I, I guarantee you, there is no one in this world who has not suffered or who will not suffer. Now, certainly there are those who have more than others. Does that mean that they don't suffer? No. We suffer because we live in a broken world. All the way back in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the first humans rebelled against God. They sinned. They disobeyed. And through their sin, through their rebellion, the curse of sin and death was brought into the world. Why is it that we decay? Why is it that people get cancer? Why is it that people get Alzheimer's? Why is it that, that we are frail and, and we are prone to injury and sickness and death? It's because of the sin 
of others. We suffer, first of all, because we just live in a broken world, one that is living under the curse of death. And then we suffer because of the sin of others. In the book of Romans, the apostle writes that when that first sin happened in Romans chapter 3, uh, it, 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 or sorry, Romans 5 talks about this because that first sin happened. In Romans chapter 5, verse 19, the apostle says that sin entered and the whole world was affected by it. That because of one man's disobedience, the whole world experienced the curse of sin and death. You and I were born by nature sinners. I believe in original sin. I believe in this concept that because of the sin of our first ancestors, that all of us are born by nature sinners, that something broke inside humanity that we do not understand. I'm just going to be honest about it. We don't understand. We don't understand how it didn't affect Jesus, that he wasn't born by nature a sinner, and yet he wasn't. He was born in sin, or without sin. He was born sinlessly perfect. We are not. Now, there's disagreement. There are those who do not believe that, even within the Christian faith. But even if you don't believe that, or even if you say, well, I was born sinner by nature, but that I didn't do anything, give yourself time. You will. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I remember uh, when my oldest son was like one, one years old, something like that, and there was this older guy in the, in the church we were at, and he was thinking he was like dropping some knowledge on me, you know. You, you ever had that happen where somebody like thinks they're dropping truth bombs or they're really just laying things out and, and you're, you're going to get your mind blown or something? And he says, hey, you know, you're, you may think your son's a perfect little angel, but you know, he's a sinner. He's a heathen. I said, yeah, I know that. I've, tr I've told him no. I've seen what happens. It, 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 I, I mean, I don't mean to be arrogant or anything, but like, it was like, duh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you, you tell a little child, Hey, don't do that. And it's a thing that's, it's good. Hey, don't touch that. It will hurt you. Don't eat that. It will make you sick. And the child looks at you and looks at the bad thing they want to do. And they do it anyway, because they themselves born sinners by nature, I believe, but then become sinners by commission. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you want to know why we suffer? It's because we cause our suffering. All suffering comes from either our sin or from the sin of others. Either we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and brought in suffering into the world, or as the first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned and brought the curse of sin and death into the world, then we suffer because of it. Sin is caused by either our sin or the sin of others. I'm either self-inflicting the wounds or somebody else is inflicting it on me, right? There are people who suffer because they have given themselves over to addiction and substance abuse. There are others who suffer because like, you know, you're just driving along and then you get hit by a drunk driver. That's not your fault. That's the sin of somebody else. There are also people who are struggle and, and under the bondage of addiction and, and substance abuse because of the sin of others, because somebody did something that got them hooked. Uh, you know, I, I actually know some people that kind of left to themselves probably would not have been addicted. And it was really the sin of other people that got them into that place. We suffer because of sin. It's either our sin or the sin of somebody else. So Job might be looking around and saying, why am I suffering? And that's really chapter three. Like, you know, he is just despairing. He, he is at a, at a total loss. 
And you might look and say, what did he do? He didn't do anything wrong. Well, he lives in a fallen world. He lives in a world where people die and his children died. He lives in a world where people get sick and he gets sick. He lives in a world where people are evil and people came and stole everything from him. We suffer because of sin. But we also need to acknowledge that we suffer because God allows it. God allows it. You might think I'm going through this thing. My friend's going through this thing. I know somebody who is dealing with this issue, this pain, this suffering, this trial. Why isn't God stopping it? You have to acknowledge that God allows it. God is not the cause of human brokenness, but he allowed it. At the very beginning, he gave people free will. At the very beginning, he said, you can eat from any tree of the garden except for one tree. Make the choice to not do this one thing. And in that command, he gave us the choice, the freedom of choice, the freedom of action. We can choose, do I do this or do I do that? And so then the first people chose to rebel. Now, there are those, and I, I can hear them in my head, there are those from, uh, usually from the Reformed tradition of Christianity uh, who will say, well, the Bible says that we can't choose to do good. Yeah, it says that in Romans 8, we can't please God. The Bible says that the mindset on the flesh is always death. The Bible says that, you know, we, we could not choose to do the right thing. Yes, but Jesus also said, if you who are evil know how to do good things, Jesus said that people who are born sinners, who are evil people, and by the way, that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that there's good people and bad people and God likes the good people, so you better be part of the good people. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that all people are bad and that Jesus was good and he came and gives us his righteousness. But God, in giving us free will, has allowed human suffering that he has allowed it so I have a choice. And I can choose to do good things in this world or I can choose to do bad things in this world. And I can choose to be a blessing to others or be a curse to others. And my choices and my actions and your choices and your actions can inflict good or bad onto the world around us. My sons asked me recently, why don't we just make war illegal? We were talking about, you know, what they were hearing at school on, you know, kind of the, the recess, you know, playground about, you know, the war in the Ukraine and all that. And I said, well, how would you make it illegal? How would you stop somebody? I mean, that's kind of what war is. Somebody attacks somebody else and we try to stop them. Now, there are limits. There are places that God says no more. In, in Job, he says, you can do this much, Satan but no further. Jesus, you might remember when we were going through the sermon on the, uh, on the Mount, Matthew uh, 24, 25, and Jesus is talking about the end of the world. And he said, Hey, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for God stopping things, no one would survive what's coming. And so there will come a point where God will say no more. This is over. I'm taking the reins. So there are limits to how much God is allowed, but in general terms, he's allowed free will. And that gives us the ability to cause pain and misery in our own lives and in the lives of others. So we're suffering and you're saying, why am I suffering? 
What have I done? Honestly, just the fact that you were born is that you were born into a broken world full of suffering. It's not your fault. It's not your fault if you had, uh, you know, a traumatic experience. It's not your fault if you're hit by a drunk driver. It's not your fault if you were abused, you know, molested. It's not your fault. Like there's, there's so many things that weren't people's faults. It's not my dad's fault that he got cancer. I, I've known people, they get cancer and it's like they're looking to blame themselves somehow. Like people get cancer. My dad was a healthy guy. In fact, he was in the best shape of his life. And he told me that he's like, I, he played college football and he was like, you know what? I'm in better shape now. And it, I mean, he was playing like low level, like division three college football, but, but he's like, I'm in better shape now in my thirties. Cause he was training. Uh, he wanted to become a, uh, a paramedic. He wanted to switch careers. He wanted to become a paramedic. And he was like, he's like, I am in the best shape I've ever been in because I'm eating better than I was when I was in college. And I know how to do, do these things right. And so, and then all of a sudden, like he, within six months, he goes from being in the best shape of his life to being in his deathbed. It's not his fault. We just live in a broken world. So since we live in a broken world, since we live in a world of suffering, since we live in a world that has all of this stuff going on, what was happening to Job was extreme, yes, but not unexpected. People will suffer. And because of that, I believe that we as people and then collectively like as Christians, we need to prepare for how to respond to suffering because people will suffer. And so you better have a plan. You better be prepared. You better think through what does that mean? What does it mean when somebody suffers and how do I respond to it? Job's friends came and they, I believe at this, at this point, they don't do so great later, spoiler alert, but at this point in chapter two, chapter three, they are successful and they're successful for three reasons. First is that they had relationship. You know what? A lot of times, like being able to help somebody, I have to know them. I have to know that they need help. I have to know what their needs are. I have to have the relational capital. You know, you're, if you've ever been through a, a storm, a season, I remember when my dad was dying and I was in middle school, I was in seventh grade, my dad's dying. And all of a sudden people that could have cared less about my family before wanted to be in the middle of it. There's something about drama and about tragedy that just attracts people. And all of a sudden there were people who had really never shown any interest in my family before. And now they wanted to be like best friends and be really close. These were legitimately Job's friends. They had relationship with him and they showed up. That's the second thing that they were successful is that they had, they were present. They were there. Job was in his time of suffering and they went. The three friends heard about what's going on and they left and they went to where he was. They had relationship with him. They were present with him. And then they were silent. It says that when they got there, they just see how distraught he is, how broken he is, how full of grief and pain and heartache he is. And they just sat there and said nothing. Heard the story. It's true story. Family. And they lost their child just hours after the child was born. And it wasn't expected. My cousin Katie died about three, four hours after she was born. But my aunt and uncle knew that that was going to happen. This couple didn't know. It was unexpected. And here they are in this hospital on a day that was supposed to be a day of joy. And because we live in a broken world, 
They were suffering. They were despairing. They were despondent. And the hospital chaplain walked in. And he looked at them. And he sat down. And he sat there with them. And I think they're expecting him to try to say something comforting. And there's no comfort in that moment, right? There's nothing you can say. And he didn't say a thing. He saw them. He knew what was going on. And he just began to weep with them. Genuine. Like, I think he probably meant to try to say something comforting. And he just saw everything that was going on. And he just wept. He just wept. And, and the father, he put his hand on the father's shoulder. And he held the mother's hand and he cried with them. And then at the end of, of the time, it was appropriate amount of time. He squeezed the mother's hand. Firm, you know, there's that firm pressure you put on another man's shoulder. And he got up and he left. And that couple went to the hospital like as they were leaving, but they said, who was this chaplain? That blessed them. That brought them comfort. Somebody was just there grieving with them. Didn't say a word. Didn't try to make them feel better. They were just there. They were present. Now, he didn't have a relationship. You can't in that moment, right? But he was present and he was silent. I don't know how many people have had relationship and have presence and then ruin things by talking. It's something I've tried to learn as a pastor. Go into a hospital, go into a tense moment. What can I do? And I have remembered that story. I have tried to remember that story of that chaplain for that very reason. I don't want to mess things up by saying something. I just want to be here. I just want to be present. I've seen people that, that, you know, you've been in like a, a church small group, a prayer meeting, something, and somebody comes and says, I need prayer this week. You know, um, I just found out my best friend has cancer. Uh, I need prayer. You know, my, um, my grandpa, I was so close to my grandpa and he, he passed away this week suddenly. And then somebody goes, yeah, I know how that is. It's so hard. You know, um, my cat died last week. And I, I, I get you. Now I love animals. I care about animals. But if you find out that your best friend has cancer and then somebody says, yeah, I know how it is. My cat died a couple weeks ago. That's like, what? Forget you, man. Forget you. And you could see somebody, you know, trying to come with some pithy or comforting words, you know, like, you know, I'm, you just got to learn how to snuggle in the struggle. You're too blessed to be stressed. You have to speak you know, uh, life into this situation. It's like, just shut up and grieve with me. But people are afraid of silence. People are afraid to just be present. Now, there are times when words are necessary. There are times when you need to speak and you need to speak truth. And, you, and, and, and sometimes you can be even blunt. You know, I, I've seen those moments. How do I know which? If the Spirit of God is in me, and I know how to hear the voice of the Spirit, well, how do you know? You know what? It's an art more than a science. It is something you learn over time. I know how God speaks to me. And there are times where, where it's been like, you need to be direct and blunt. 
And there are times where it isn't. I, I remember a friend of mine was going through a real trial, struggle. And I just sat there with him. I didn't cry. Um, it just wasn't organic or natural for me to cry. He was bawling. But I sat there with him. I was present with him. And then as we were sitting there in the back of a church, nobody else was around. This older lady in the church came, godly woman, godly woman. And she came and she said, boys, what's going on? Because we were, we were young. My friend was, you know, maybe his late teens. I was in my early 20s. And I told her what had happened. And she got in my friend's face and there was love in her eyes. You know, grandma, motherly love, you know what I'm talking about. And she got in his face and with love in her eyes, her relationship, presence, with love in her eyes, spoke truth, spoke truth to him that he needed to hear in that moment. I wasn't the one to say it. She was. But Job's friends are successful because they have relationship, because they're present, and in that moment, they just sit and grieve with him. They're not trying to fix him. They're not trying to give him like a little platitude and send him on his way. A lot of times that's what churches do. Like, we'll just give you like a, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and then we'll see you next Sunday. Get better by then. They just bared with him. I think that's actually one of the real strengths of our church, if I can brag a little bit about Faith on Hill, is that the people at Faith on Hill seem to be willing to bear with somebody longer than like, all right, we're going to put you through a 10-week discipleship process, and if you're not better by week 10, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We seem to be willing to bear with people, and I appreciate that, because that hasn't always been the case in churches I've been a part of. So we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer because we live in a broken world. We're going to suffer because God has allowed us free will. We're going to suffer because of sin, either our sin or the sin of others. And we can have a thought through in general. This is how we respond. I want to respond relationally. I want to respond with presence and I want to respond where appropriate. Most of the time, it's, it's not that I need to like just start preaching to somebody. Most of the time I need to listen we have two ears and one mouth. I got to listen. I got to just be around. I got to hear what they're saying, what the spirit of God is speaking. And it's okay to be honest with our pain. Because in chapter three, Job just starts being honest. He says, I wish I'd never been born. Why was it that I was born? Why couldn't I have, you know, all right, fine. Like maybe I could have been, you know, like my cousin Katie who died just a couple hours after being born. Or, you know, I could have been, I could have been, I could have lived, but then I could have gone to rest. I could have gone to eternity and never experienced this pain and I can't take it anymore. And he is being honest and raw and open. And, and he says like, I, I just can't, I can't bear what is happening to me. I can't bear the, the loss of my children. I can't bear the loss of, of my, everything I've built. I can't bear the, the, what's happening to my, my physical health. All of these things are going on. And he's just so honest about it. And if we're, if we're being real, a lot of places over the years, including the church, it's not okay to be honest, right? You got you to gotta put that stiff upper lip. You got to bury that pain down deep and hide it and then look good on the outside. It's not more holy. It's not more spiritual. 
to hide our pain away. It's not more holy. It's not more spiritual to pretend that everything's all right, to make sure that we put on that good look on the outside, but on the inside, things aren't good. It's not more holy and it's not more spiritual to not seek help. I believe in Jesus and doctors. I believe in Jesus and therapy. I believe in Jesus and medicine. And it's not more honest and it's not more holy and it's not more spiritual and there's no less faith if we just say, hey, I, I need to go see a doctor. Hey, I need to be on this medication. Hey, I need to speak to, a, regularly speak to a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and it's horrible the places where the church has taught that. Horrible. And Job here is honest with his pain. <clears throat> and next week, we're going to find out that this is where Job's friends, they start off really good. They start to fail because they're not comfortable with Job being so honest with his pain. And let's acknowledge, we might think, why isn't somebody willing to share with me? Why, why is this person seemingly so closed off in the church? We're, our small group, our Sunday mornings, we, we want to gather people in and we, we're, we're a place you can be honest. Well, because let's just say it isn't always safe. That there are people who have tried to be honest with what's going on and then they get shut down. There are certain things that you're allowed to talk about, but not that thing. There are certain struggles you're allowed to be honest and say, yeah, this is an area of sin that I have just a hard time submitting and surrendering to God. And that people will say, oh, we're praying for you. We're with you. But somebody else does a different sin and they're like, uh, hey, get out of here, weirdo, right? Jesus has given himself to us. Jesus has given himself to us. And he, is, he has taken all of our, our sin and our shame. And he is a healer. And he's our help. But the ways that he heals and he helps might look different from one person to another. You notice that Jesus never healed anyone exactly the same way. Multiple times we hear about people who are blind or deaf. And he doesn't do the same thing all the time. I, I've known people who have struggled deeply with doubts and, and depression, and then the, it just seems to lift supernaturally. And others for whom their process was a medical one, just the same as, you know, maybe you have cancer or you have some other illness and you go to the doctor and you get treatment. They've gone to a mental health professional and gotten tr and treatment and therapy and, and seen healing. And I believe God is in that as well. But if Jesus has given himself for us, and he has said, this is, this is all for you. I've, 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 I've brought you my peace. I've brought you my power. I've brought you my righteousness. Then there's no person who should be made to feel unsafe at being honest about where they're at, because none of us have had it figured out on our own. All of us, whatever we have, has come from God through Jesus. Any power that we have is the power of God, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives. Any holiness we have, any righteousness we have, is what Jesus has given to us and we have accepted. And if Jesus has done all this for us, then how much more should we do all this for others? How much more should we say, you know what? 
I'm going to do what Jesus did. Jesus sought out relationship with us. He came after us. Jesus has brought his presence to us, the Holy Spirit of God present among the church corporately, collectively, and in Christians individually. And Jesus is born with us. He didn't make us figure things out all at once. He, he's, he's been walking this road with us. Is God punishing you? Are you in a season of suffering? Have you gone through a trial? Do you have a friend, a loved one, a family member that's going through a storm and you're going, what is going on? Look, it's not always bad karma. You know, we just live in a fallen world. Is this from God? No, pro honestly, probably not. Now, can it be used of God? Yes. Think of Jonah. God sent the storm. There, there are others... There are moments where God will use things to shake us, to get our attention. But you know what? Sometimes life just sucks because we live in a world that's just full of junk and a world that's full of pain and a world that's full of misery. And all we can do is cry out to God. And you know what? Jesus has given us to each other so I can have a relationship with my church family and I can be present with my church family. And when I go through the storm, I can receive ministry and comfort. When others go through the storm, I can be part of helping to give ministry and comfort. But in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of everything going wrong, I want this to be so clear, and we're going to find this out. God never abandons Job. There's no point at which God says, I don't care about him anymore. There's no point at which God says, I don't love him anymore. There's no point in which God's hand is not on his life. And we'll talk you know, later as we go through the book about what happens when God doesn't act the way we think he should act. When God's hand on your life doesn't look the way you think it should look. But for now, let's just say this. We will suffer. And we should think through how we respond to our suffering and to the suffering of others. But we should know that we can be honest about what we're going through because God is with us and God cares and he has given us to each other to bear one another's burdens. And whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, whatever you will go through, I want you to know that God has never stopped loving you, that Jesus has never stopped pursuing you, and the invitation to surrender ourselves to God and his ways and his will, even if his path seems like it is full of storm clouds, it does not mean that it is worse. In fact, the stormiest, darkest, roughest road that God would take us down is better, is better than the smoothest, easiest road that's on the path to destruction. And so I invite you this morning to consider Jesus. If you don't have faith, know that God loves you. And where we lack, he can bring faith. If you do have faith, know that no matter what road God brings us down, it is better. And he is with us. And he has given us to each other so that we aren't alone. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning as we continue to study the book of Job, chapters 4 through 14. 
and we'll be on the podcasts and the small groups and everything this week as a church family. May the peace of God be with you. May the grace of God fill your life. May the love of God be so full in your heart that it just pours out into the world around you. In the name of Jesus, amen.